I could spend the entire morning talking about life change, but, but here's the most important thing. We are seeing our mission come to life. Because here's our mission. We're, our mission is empowering people to become world changers by releasing them into their full potential in the kingdom of God. And so that's, our mission is to see you fulfill the mission that God has placed on your life. Our mission is to help you fulfill your mission. And, and, and your mission, in case you didn't know, in case you've been asleep since you've been here, it's time to dead man come out of that grave, recognize that you have been called to something bigger than yourself. And I know you sense it. I know you sense that there's something that you are called to do that is more than natural. We call it supernatural, right? Not spooky, but this is what you can accomplish. And here's what only God can accomplish. And so we're excited to be partnering with you in that. And we're seeing some great things multi-generationally, but we've only scratched the surface. There's so much more that God wants to do. And so with all of the people, with all of the crowded space, either on Sunday mornings or in the ministries that we're currently offering, um, there's still more to do. Yes. You know, and, and uh, our, our 20,000 square feet of space is getting a workout, y'all. Uh, I mean, we are quickly becoming a 24-7 church. I, I was trying to come up with a name for the building. You know how people name their cars? You know, I was like, is this, you know, Betsy? I, I don't know. Y'all y'all come up with a name, send me emails, um, but be sweet, all right? But uh, so we have something going on here pretty much every day of the week. But our biggest restrictor is our facility space. Like it is the thing right now that is holding us back. And so currently we operate in three services. Uh, we have approximately eight to 900 adults and anywhere from 250 to 280 kids that are on campus every Sunday morning. So it's somewhere between 11 and 1200 people are here every week. So I don't know if you're connected to that, but that's a lot of people uh, crammed in this 20,000 square feet. You drive by and you go, man, that building's not big enough to hold those people. Somehow, some way, God is multiplying our space and, and allowing that to happen. But we're functionally full. So uh, church growth experts would say, when you're 80% full, you're full. Well, at 945, we have 30 to 70 people sitting in the lobby on any given Sunday. I know it's a three-day weekend, so people are out of town. But on a regular Sunday, if you're here at 945, you know that those doors are open because we got a ton of people out there. So we're at probably 120% of capacity at 945. And uh, at 8 o'clock, we've got a couple hundred people. At 1130, we've got about 300 people. So we're full. We're full. But that's just one day a week. Uh, Students on Sunday nights, we have about 120 students, 7th through 12th grade, that are meeting here on Sunday nights, and they struggle to find space to gather in their small groups after their large group time because we just don't have the space. And now we've added mix 56 on Sunday nights. So 5th and 6th graders, we have another 70 or 80 that are in the back children's space there on Sunday night. So do the math. That's about 200 fifth through 12th grade students that are in the building on Sunday nights and they're all gathering both in large and small group spaces with their uh, other youth workers that are working with them. So we're full. 
all right? Um, uh, Tuesday nights for re-engage. We have 30 plus couples that are going through re-engage this semester. It's our biggest group. Uh, we've had over 100 that have gone through over the last uh, two years. But here's the problem. We can't take more than 30 couples right now because we don't have the space to gather in small groups, which is a big part of that ministry, gathering in smaller groups. And so we need more space to accommodate more because every single couple in this room needs to go through re-engage. So, but we can't right now because we're full. Um, Thursday nights, uh, over the last month, uh, we've had women's Bible study meeting in the lobby. We've had Regen meeting in this room. And then uh, Willie Villarreal has been doing his faith and health seminar in the back kids space. And then we've had childcare going on over here. So three ministries operating at the same time in 20,000 square feet of space. It's been a little bit tricky trying to figure out how to get all the people and move them around without interrupting ministry. We're full. Uh, Thursday mornings, we have 150 women that meet for a Bible study in the lobby on Sunday mornings. So two things. Number one, 150 women around tables won't fit in the lobby. And so we've had to be really creative on how we've done that. Second, that's a lot of estrogen in one room at one time, right? So, I mean, I'm not judging, but it's a lot. Um, but here's the thing. There are more women that are to come. And so we need more space to accommodate more women. But we really can't right now because we're full. What's the point? We're full. So we're, we're, we're full. We are doing everything that we can. We're cramming in every minute of every day of every week that we can opportunities for people. But here um, is the thing that I want you to remember. Um, we are not a cruise ship. We're not just trying to provide ministries. We're trying to equip people that have landed here. We're trying to, to help them learn and be equipped in everything they've been called to do and launch them off into the adventure that God has for them. But we do know this too. We're not through growing. We have 10 new families every week that are coming in the doors, that are filling out connect cards, which means there are more people that are coming in this high growth area. And uh, let me just ask you this. If you have been impacted in some way by the ministries of restoration, if you feel like, man, before I showed up, I saw Jesus a different way, and now I'm following Jesus at a new level. I've, been, I've experienced healing here or, or growth here. Would you just raise your hand? Um, I just want you to look around the room. Man, this is restoration. This is what restoration is about. And so it's so exciting to me that, that cruise ship thinking is, Thank you, Jesus, that I've been changed. Let's keep all the riffraff out of here, right? So that, so that we can have all of this to ourselves. But, but here's the thing. If we're on mission, it means that we are wanting to see more people experiencing the freedom that we've experienced, which means that we are not done by any stretch of the imagination. So this is our aircraft carrier, but... In short, we need a bigger boat. We need a bigger boat. So here's what we've designed. I said it in the video, but let me just run through it real quickly. Uh, you can see uh, our existing building is there at the bottom, and then uh, we'll connect on the northeast corner of the building and go north, kind of up on this hill that we see right now. Uh, we have a lot of dirt work to do to make that happen, but we are building an additional 38,000 square feet, 900-seat uh, worship 
facility. Go ahead and show that next slide. And so uh, 900 seats of worship. Now, here's why that is important. We currently seat about 325 in here on a typical Sunday morning. So we will almost triple our seating capacity, which will allow us to go back to two services for a while, we hope. Uh, and, and, and nobody's more excited about that than me, all right? So, so uh, my voice... Thanks you. Uh, but 900 seats of worship as well as uh, early childhood. Uh, we'll have some classrooms for early childhood and toddlers so you won't be too far away from your kids. A large gathering space in the lobby so we can continue to grow the ministries that are already currently meeting there. Cafe space for gathering both on Sundays throughout the week. Uh, flexible classroom space. And so the flexible classroom space um, uh, if you see where all of the furniture is there, there will actually be glass expanding walls that will make all of those spaces, uh, smaller spaces for small group gathering. So it's flexible in the fact on Sunday mornings they can be open, but we can close them to create five classrooms right there. So we're trying to uh, be frugal and create flexible spaces where we can do a lot of different things. And then uh, we'll also, uh, there will be office space to accommodate staff growth, some counseling space, and then we're going to remodel this facility for children's space. Uh, we currently can take roughly 125 kids per service. Does that sound about right, Lindsay? Uh, and so uh, if, you do the, if you do the math, if over the course of a Sunday morning we have close to 300 kids and we have close to 900 adults, that means that 900 adults in the service will likely mean about 300 kids in here, which is three times what we have space-wise. So we're gonna have to reallocate uh, this space to be able to accommodate up to 300 kids for service. And so uh, it's, a, it's a big God undertaking, right? But we know that we have a big God and we are not in one bit concerned that God's not gonna provide everything we need. And here's what I know, he's already done it. The God that put all this into motion, again, I didn't wanna be a pastor. I had no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> what I'm doing currently, yeah. That's true, both past and present. Uh, but, but here's what's beautiful. God knows exactly what he's doing. And, and all the hands that went up represent lives that are being changed. And we're on a mission together to see God do what only God can do. And so um, this is a God-sized project. And uh, to use aircraft carrier, carrier language, this is all hands on deck time, Right? This is no longer a time to sit back, but a time for us. Remember, we've just spent four weeks talking about spiritual gifts. So if you have not yet discovered what it is God has gifted you to do, that means that you're not operating in it. And if you're not operating in it, we're incomplete. Amen. And we gotta look at this as wartime. Amen. It's time for us, all hands on deck, to uncover the giftedness that God has placed in each of us and get in the game to see what God wants to do. And so I wanna spend the rest of our time this morning just kind, kind of setting the pace for the next three or four weeks. We're gonna be talking about what God wants to do in us over the course of the next three years and beyond. But this morning I wanna talk about generosity. And on the surface, 
we're extremely blessed as a congregation. Uh, we will likely close out the year at about $3.2 million in income. And for a less than seven-year-old church, that is remarkable. And so I just want to affirm you, man, uh, God has blessed us as a congregation, and, and it's because of your generosity. And so I want to say, yay, God, for that, and I want to say thank you. But um, here's what I know. We're under-resourced as a church. There are many at Restoration that are not currently participating in giving. And so this is an issue of discipleship. So we talk about all kinds of areas of discipleship, right? We talk about being in the secret place with Jesus and the importance of being connected and, and knowing his word, uh, being connected by hearing his voice. And, and this is no different. This is every bit as important. How we steward our finances is so incredibly important to Jesus. Here's how I know. So there are well over 2,000 references to money in the Bible and how important it is to our spiritual well-being. So get this, Jesus talked a lot about money. 16 of his 38 parables deal with money and possessions. Did you know that? that almost half the parables that Jesus told dealt with money and possessions. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one out of every 10 verses deal with money or possessions. Is that staggering to anybody but me? That's 288 verses that deal directly with money. The, the Bible, in context, offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. So the Bible offers four times as much instruction on how we steward our finances than he does on prayer and faith. That's pretty crazy. I mean, does that surprise anybody besides me? Like when I'm, when I'm doing this research, it just really surprised me that I would think that prayer and faith would be off the charts and God would give a mention to finances, and yet it's what he primarily talks about. Jesus talked about it for sure. And I wonder why. Because I think he knows that money and possessions are the number one thing competing for your heart. And it's the reason that you don't like to talk about it. It's the reason that people go, oh, I get a church. And if you're here for the first time, ask the people around you how often I talk about money. And they'll tell you, I don't think I've ever heard him talk about money because I, I know that I know what's going on in your mind right now. You're like, okay, get it over with, right? Kick us in the gut and send us on our way. And so here's what I wanna say to you. This is not between you and me. This is between you and Jesus. So if you're wondering today, you're like, dude, why, why you gotta bring this up today? Oh, you're just wanting my money to build a building. No, this is an issue of discipleship. And I wanna confess to you, I don't talk about it near enough. The Bible talks about it way more than I talk about it. Yet it's an issue that we've got to bring to the surface. Um, if you remember in Romans 12, um, one of the spiritual gifts mentioned in Romans 12 was giving. And so some people naturally have the gift of giving. Um, I was with one of them on Friday night. He, he's told me on several occasions, uh, I have the gift of giving. And then he says, well, actually I have the gift of earning. And uh, because I have the gift of earning, it, it, it gives me the opportunity to be generous. And so maybe this morning as you hear this, if you're like me, uh, I often can go to, man, I'm living from paycheck to paycheck. 
I don't know what it would look like to give outside of what I've currently leveraged in my life. And so, man, just true confession, this has not always been an area of strength for me and Yvonne. We've been married for 31 years, and I think we've probably been really obedient in this area for about 10 of those 31 years, that the God captured our heart, and after he captured our heart, he captured um, our obedience where this is concerned. And so I'm a fellow struggler with you. Uh, if you don't currently give, man, I've been there. I get it. The numbers don't add up sometimes, right? And know this, if you spreadsheet your life, it'll never add up. If, if your whole idea is, man, I'm got, I, I gotta figure this all out, know that you're never gonna have enough money to give the way that God wants you to give. And so there's gotta be something more involved, right? And so we're gonna talk about that a little bit this morning. And so here's the only thing that I wanna ask. Let's approach this subject with humility. So if you're a, a giver and that is your gift, man, praise God. And continue to be humble in the way that you give and don't look down your nose at people that, that aren't currently where you are. If you don't give, if you're holding it back, listen, I'm just gonna read the word and we're gonna talk about it, okay? So this is an issue between you and God. I'm the messenger this morning. Feel free to email me and we can have conversations about it. But let's look at it this morning. Classic passage, two verses, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, I'm just gonna read it real quickly and then uh, we'll talk through it together. So it says this, verse nine, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Okay, so number one, for some of you, you're like, well, I don't have a barn, so I'm off the hook. <laughs> but in the same, I've seen some of you out, out in public and you're like, wait, wine's involved, right? So, so <laughs> you, get, you get both here today, right? So let, let's look at this. Uh, verse nine, he starts out and says, honor the Lord. Honor the Lord. So if you remember just a few verses back, classic verse, Proverbs 3, 5. He says, trust in the Lord. So trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. And so in context, now he moves to verse nine and he says, honor the Lord. So what does it mean to honor the Lord? Here's some uh, words, synonymous, exalt, respect, esteem, praise, pay homage or tribute to? And how specifically are we called to exalt, respect, or pay tribute to the Lord? With your wealth. Yes. Okay, now some of you are like, bro, you don't know me. My account is negative right now, right? So if you live in the United States of America, you are a part of the richest nation on the planet. Unless you rode your bike here today, which I doubt it. Did anybody ride their bike here today? Yeah, so, so if you drove a car here today from the house that you live in, you're considered rich on a world level. So we've gotta, we've gotta kinda you know, double click out and zoom out that we're not talking about you and your neighbors or you and the subdivision next to you. We're talking about you in contrast to the world. By the world's standards, you're wealthy. So you gotta take this and go, Ugh, okay, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your, mouth, with your wealth. So the writer here is telling us that 
the way to honor God is with our money. And so here's the first thought that I want you to think about. So go online, scroll through all of your financial transactions for the last 30 days. And then ask yourself the question, who do your finances pay tribute or honor to? You know, for me, it's probably gringos, you know, I mean, if I'm being honest, uh, I mean, but, but, but we look at it and, and it's real easy. If you have one of those financial management software programs, you can have it categorized and give you pie pieces of where you're spending your money. And most of the time we don't want to do that because we'd rather not know because it is telling that where we spend our money, you can follow that trail. And that's really who we worship or what we worship. And uh, I heard a pastor, Joby Martin, was speaking on giving what once, and uh, he said this, he said, generosity is not a problem for anyone because we're all generous. He said, unfortunately, we're generous to ourselves. And so we don't have a generosity problem in the room. Every single person in the room is generous. Unfortunately, you're generous to you. You're, you're, you're looking out for you at all costs. And that stands in direct contradiction to the gospel, right? So we should honor the Lord with our wealth. And here are two reasons that I want you to think about. Number one, we honor the Lord with our wealth because number one, God is first. God is first. What do I mean by that? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. What does that say? In the beginning, God created. That means before creation, God was. So he is first. We went through this for a year in the book of Revelation, right? We kept going back to the beginning that before time began, he's the alpha. When time is no more, he's the omega. But God is first. And then we see in John chapter one, in the beginning, the word was with God, the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And we learned that that word, word, logos, means the thing that gives meaning to life. And then we jump down to verse 17 and he proclaims, it's Jesus. Amen. And then we find out that Jesus was in the beginning with God. So we can say that the Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit, pre-existed before the creation of the world. God is first. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn among all creation. Then you look down at verse 18, it says, he is the beginning that in everything he may be preeminent, preeminent, first. The word in Greek there is proteo, meaning first in rank or influence. It's where we get our word prototype. And what is prototype? It's the first of something, right? It's the first of creation. So the translation is this. He's the creator, the first and only of its kind and worthy of honor. So God is first, but number two, God went first. God went first. So I said this a couple weeks ago, but let me remind you. I know that a lot of us will share testimony and it's like, man, I was in a bar and, 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 and I was on my, you know, I was, I was drunk and passing out and, and then I found Jesus, right? Or I was uh, in this lost state and I was, I was wandering and then in my wandering, I found Jesus. Well, that's a great sentiment, but know this, you did not find Jesus. He found you. 
He went first. And I think for a lot of us, we have this idea that we went out on a search and found Jesus. But know this, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, draws you to him. He went first. So it is in his nature to give and give generously. We think about Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. So he's the one that went first, that in your uh, deserving death, he went first and provided life through Jesus. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave He gave what? The thing that was most precious to him, his only son. For God so loved, he gave. Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In your sin, he went first. So that's the gospel summed up. Sacrificial giving is at the heart of the gospel. He, He initiated the model of giving through Jesus. So to think that you somehow are initiating sacrificial giving to God is actually arrogance because God went first. He was the initiator from the beginning and now every time you give, you're actually mirroring the gospel. So we could draw our own conclusions about what that might look like, but the writer spells it out for us. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And he says, and with the first fruits of your produce. So you may not be familiar with that term first fruit. So let me show you real quickly in Exodus chapter 13, there's this fascinating passage. I'm gonna start with verse 11 and then we'll pick up in verse 12. It says, after the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised an oath to you and your ancestors. So what he's saying here is, I'm gonna provide your forever home, your promised land. So he says, after I do that, Again, God goes first. Verse 12, you're to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All of the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem them with a lamb of every firstborn donkey. Uh, Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. So what is he saying there? Seems confusing, right? says, listen, I'm about to bless you beyond measure. I'm gonna lead you into your land of promise. And when I do, I want you to give your firstborn. The firstborn animals are for the Lord. And so what is he saying? The first is God and the first is sacrifice. But then he says, hey, if you have a firstborn donkey, it must be redeemed by a lamb. So it's a picture of clean and unclean, right? It's a picture of the lamb redeems the unclean donkey. So firstborn unclean must be redeemed by sacrificing clean. What is that a picture of? It's a picture of you and me. You're the donkey, right? I'm the donkey. I was born unclean. I was born with a sin problem I couldn't get rid of. And I love that if you're looking for Jesus, he's on every page. This is a picture of Jesus, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That you in your donkiness, 
There's another word for it. You know it. Um, but, but just think about it. You're a donkey and you cannot clean yourself up. In fact, if, you're, if, if the lamb doesn't exist, break his neck. And yet, God in his sovereignty, through the person of Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, sacrificed on your behalf. And he is the firstborn among all creation. What is that? That's first fruits. He gave of his first and his best so that you did not have to get your neck broke. That's a picture of the gospel. And so the point of first fruit, first born animal is God's. Why? Well, for two reasons. Number one, it's God. And because it takes faith. I mean, imagine that you had 10 donkeys and you sacrificed the 10th one. How many do you have left? This is a math problem. How many do you have left? Yeah, it's not a trick. Nine, right? So just think about it. If you sacrifice the 10th, you've still got nine left. You may miss that 10th that one because maybe you named it, you know, you pet it and you're like, oh, I'm gonna miss you. But, but here's the bottom line. You still got nine left over. But when you sacrifice the first, you are believing by faith that there are gonna be nine more. But you don't know for sure. And yet he tells you, listen, you need to honor me with your first fruits. So this is crucial in giving, Right? You don't give if you have leftovers. And it's the biggest reason people don't give. And maybe it's where you sit this morning. I can't afford it. I can't afford it. And I want you, I get it. But know this, if you spend your life spreadsheeting your life, you're never gonna be able to afford it. But it could be that God's saying, hey, I wanna help you set some priorities because there's something I wanna do. There's something that I wanna do in you and through you. And he says it goes first before anything else, before the mortgage, car, any bill, groceries, anything. He gets first. Why? Because he's worthy of it. He is first and he went first. And so we get to the issue of tithing, 10% of your income. So do the math real quick and you're like, 10%? kidding me? Yeah. You're like, I, I can't even imagine. So here's the first thing. God owns it all. Anything you have has been given to you on loan. So uh, if you believe that somehow it's your intellect and your goodness that's allowed you to build your empire, anything given to you, James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift has been given by the Father of lights. And so it's all his anyway. Um, he's given it to you on loan to steward the resources that he's given you. Um, but here's what I want you to think about. Don't think percentage, think participation. So maybe it's more than you can imagine to give 10% of your income. Just participate in some way. Begin to give and allow God to blow on what you give to grow it. And that's what he promises to do. We'll see it in just a moment. But it may take faith just for you to participate. Yeah. And so I've heard the, the argument that tithing is an Old Testament principle. And I agree with you 1,000%. It is an Old Testament principle. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus told the rich young ruler, Give everything that you have to the poor and follow me. 
so biblical giving is somewhere between 10% and everything, right? So you want to argue? That's great. Let's, let's go. The bottom line is this. God wants your heart. He's not interested in your money. He's interested in your heart. And that is why he says over and over and over, listen, what I'm getting at is your heart and I don't want anything to compete with your heart where I'm concerned. You will have no other gods before me. And look at the explanation in Exodus 13, why it's important. He says it in in verse 14. He says, in the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrificed to the Lord, the male offspring of every womb and redeem each with my firstborn sons. It will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt by his mighty hand. So why do we do it? Number one, it's the power of testimony. Why do I give? I give because I needed rescuing. So remember, we've been grafted into a Jewish story right? We look at it and go, oh, we're Americans living over here in 2021 and we only live in the New Testament. No, the whole Bible is a story of God redeeming his people. And so this story of the Jews being delivered from the hand of the Egyptians from slavery, know this, you've been delivered from slavery, the slavery of sin. And so every time you give, you're giving because you've been rescued by a great God. And then verse 15, therefore I give my first and my best to God because he's worthy of it. And here's what I love. Verse 16, he says, this is a mark on my life. It is one way of showing that God has saved and delivered me. So it's showing that God has priority in your life. So let me be very clear. God doesn't need your money. Psalm 50 says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so don't hear this as God hitting you up. No, he's given it to you on loan for his glory and for his purpose. And first fruits giving shows God that he has priority. He has your faith, your honor. And look at verse 10. Your barns will be filled with plenty, your vats bursting with wine. So this is a picture of provision and blessing right? And so here's what he's saying. When you give, you will always have everything you need. And then some. You'll all, I will always provide for your needs. And then some. Now, here's where this gets twisted, okay? So the heresy of the prosperity gospel says this, God, I gave and now you owe me something. Right? We hear that all the time, right? Hey, if you want to see God bless you, you sow into it and, and then he's required to bless you. Know this, God doesn't owe you anything, right? Because you're here today, because you have breath in your lungs, because you have everything that you have in your life, that's enough. He doesn't owe you anything. In fact, you're living on borrowed time, right? We all know that. That we're on a collision course with death, Welcome to restoration, right? So, but, but, but here's the point. 
The point is, God, in his great sovereignty, he loves you and he wants to bless you. And this is an issue of obedience. He said, listen, when you obey this, when you give me and you honor me with your wealth, when you honor me with the first fruits of your produce, he said, listen, I'm gonna fill your barns up. I'm gonna fill your vats with new wine. I'm gonna bless you beyond what you could ever ask or imagine. How's that sit with you this morning? You know, I would say that they're, for the lion's share of the people in this room today, just by percentage, this has probably been some issue for you. And you've held back because you've convinced yourself, well, I used to give to a church and they mismanage money all the time or, you know, the the pastor's putting it in his pocket or whatever you believe about that. That's the enemy just trying to convince you just another reason not to walk in obedience. And the Lord says, hey, listen, I'm asking you to trust me. Don't, Don't trust me. Okay? And I'm not saying I'm not trustworthy. Uh, we are transparent and we, we love to answer questions about how we're spending our money. So we're, we, we feel so, so confident in that, that man, we, we, wanna, we wanna tell the world what God is doing through the ministry of restoration. But don't take my word for it. This is an issue between you and Jesus. In fact, I think it's the only place in the Bible that God says, test me. Yes. Test me in this. Yes. Do you wanna know? Test me and watch what I'll do. But here's the bottom line. God is first. God went first. He doesn't owe you anything, but he promises to bless you when you're obedient. There's a blessing that comes from obedience. So that's a universal principle in the kingdom of God, by the way. And I think we look for that, don't we? We look for walking in obedience to what he feels us, feels, uh, we feel that he's calling us to do. And so we're real quick to celebrate when he's saying, God's telling me to take a step of faith. But don't touch my bank account. So the question is, could God be calling you to something new today? Um, so a couple of thoughts, and here's where we're gonna land today. Number one, honoring God with our finances means we are giving him priority. So we are giving God priority. We give our first and our best because God is first and he went first. And we're literally putting our money where our mouth is. We're saying, God, you have priority and preeminence in my life. But second, when we give in this way, we're mirroring the gospel. So The gospel is a picture of first fruits. God gave freely his first and best in Jesus. God initiated, God went first. We received and now we mirror the gospel with our finances. And so here's the deal, we're entering a new season and over the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about uh, vision, mission, what God is doing, what he wants to do. And, and uh, um, you know, this 11 and a half acres is such a God story. And, and if you wanna know more, you're gonna hear more over the course of the month, but man, take me to lunch and I will tell you this beautiful story. I mean, I'll pay. We'll go Dutch. Uh, but uh, but uh, the, the, the bottom line is this, God has breathed life into what did not exist. I I drive onto campus so often 
And I'm just shocked when I drive on a campus and I look around. I'm like, this literally didn't exist seven years ago. And God breathed on it and, and took this guy. Um, y'all know my story, kind of. Um, the least likely candidate, he said, hey, go lead this movement. And I've just been trying to walk in obedience. And I'm looking going, God, this is incredible. And what I hear God say all the time is, I'm not done yet. I didn't scratch the surface, just wait. Walk in obedience and watch what I'll do. So here's the thing. If you call restoration your church home, we're in this together. This is not a me thing, this is a we thing. We're in this together. And if we want to see the world change, then we're gonna define the world as right here in our neighborhood. If we're gonna see God do what only God can do, it means that we've got to lean forward and ask God, is there any area of my life that is off limits to you? And so many times, if you'll ask the Spirit, it's probably where finances are concerned. He's like, hey, there's something I wanna do. So we're gonna be talking about this. We'll have a commitment Sunday on October 31st. And so I invite you just over the next few weeks to be praying and asking the Lord and talking with your spouse. Man, what is it that, that you're wanting to do in me and through me, God? And how do you want me to participate in this? But here's why this is important. This is not about buildings. Lives are at stake, Right? So many of you raised your hand and said, man, God has done something really powerful, supernatural in my life through the ministry of restoration. Well, who's next? Who is it in your sphere of influence that, that God wants to intersect, that we wanna see God do what only God can do? And this is generational, right? I mean, this is what for generations, 107 Fish Creek could be a place where people land, learn, and are launched into their Ephesians 2.10 calling. And you get to be a part of that. By the way, 2020 has been debilitating for the church all over the world, especially in the US. Churches are closing at an alarming rate. Many churches and some mega churches are still fighting to, to kind of get back, get their footing back. And in the middle of that, God has been so incredibly generous to us. We are blessed, and, and I say that so humbly because I don't know why. I don't know what God has said yes to us, but I know he has, and you know it, right? You feel it, that there's something that God's up to. And so let's join together, and let's press in to what only God can do. I'm so excited about the future of restoration and how we're all gonna work together to see him do something for generations to come.